0: The reading from today is Ephesians 5 25 through 33 it says husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or such thing or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, David. Well, Winston Churchill once attended a formal banquet in London at which uh, attending dignitaries were asked this question. All those in attendance were asked this question, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? So naturally, as they go around the room and everyone is answering the question, everyone wants to know, what is Winston Churchill going to say? And at the time he's seated next to his beloved wife, Clemmie. Well, when it finally came to Churchill's turn, the old man who was the dinner's last respondent to the question rose and he gave an answer. He said, if, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be. And he paused and he took his wife's hand and he said, Lady Churchill's second husband. a man." of great power and authority and influence, yet tender and loving towards his wife. What what a, a great picture of how a husband is to love his wife. Now, before we jump into the text, I, I wanna just make a note to to us as a church and to single parents in particular, there's a reality as we unpack the text last week, as we unpack the text this week, uh, that there are temptations that can come temptations that can come for certainly those who are married. Maybe things are difficult in your marriage right now. And as we go through it, you're going to kind of feel this like, ah, like just discouragement. It can, feels like it can add on to things. But certainly if you're a single parent or if you know single parents, there can be this discouragement like, well, what about us? How does this apply to us? I just want to say a couple brief things. Psalm 68 says this, that our God is a father of the fatherless and a protector of the widows. That's the heart of our God. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, certainly he's speaking to the whole of the church, but we just need to understand that, particularly those of you who are single parents. This text is meant to point us ultimately to christ as every text in scripture he's the hero of this text and of every text and the one we want to direct our gaze to so regardless of your place in life single married single parent may god just open our eyes to jesus in this passage and i'm going to just pray right now father as we study this passage, would we be most aware of Christ? And I pray, Lord, for us as a church, that we would be reminded that it's pure and undefiled religion to visit orphans and widows in the distress, that, that we would be, have our eyes open to caring for those in that place, that they'd feel welcomed and loved, and that every child in this church regardless of their family situation, that in their, when they're in the context of a local church, Lord, that they would see something that they don't see in the world. We ask God that you do this in our midst. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Look back at your Bibles. Jump back to verse 21, which at the end of the, the, the section before, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And even further back at the beginning of chapter five, At the beginning of this whole section, there's the call to be imitators of God as beloved children. And it says, verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So Jesus has been in view all throughout this chapter and Jesus has been in view as we begin to talk about what it looks like to walk in the spirit in the context of marriage. Now we talked about wives last week and this morning we're going to be talking to husbands. I'm going to be saying some things to the husbands husbands. A lot of things to the husbands. Uh, Wives don't resist the temptation to elbow. I'm going to be throwing plenty of them. But I think God has some things to say to all of us. The first is Christ is our example of headship in marriage. Like we're to do all of this out of reverence for Christ. Remember, Jesus is was loving and holy and humble. Remember that where Adam failed, we talked about the, why you know, marriage is kind of structured the way it is, rooted back in Genesis. Where Adam failed, Jesus didn't fail. Where Adam failed to protect and to love, Jesus loved and sacrificed. And husbands, listen to me. As we walk through this text, where you have failed, where you will fail, Jesus will succeed. Jesus loves your wife more than you ever will. Jesus loves your children more than you ever will. We must keep Christ in view. That doesn't mean that we sit back and we just say, okay, well, Jesus, you just take over. I'm not going to do anything. No, that's not, not it. But we just need to know when, when temptation comes, when you feel that discouragement, know that Jesus is on the throne. And he can restore that which the moths have eaten. So if you find yourself in a place where the things that we're talking about haven't happened in your life, God's at work and Jesus is working in you to conform you to his image, okay? Let's remember that. So, and and lastly, husbands, know that your identity is in Christ, not in your marriage. That's what your identity is. Your identity is in Christ. Your satisfaction can't come from your wife. It must come from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our identity, that's where our happiness is found. Now look back at the passage, verse 25, which has already been read for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you believe that? Husbands, do you Do you believe that? Do you feel the weight of it? Do you feel the responsibility of husbands loving sacrificially like Jesus loved? Because this text, it's not just a nice statement in a book of poems that might be inspirational in some way. No, this, this is a command. This is not optional. And this call is radical and we have to fight against cultural temptations. We need to fight against historical temptations. I mean, in the Greek culture, I I read one Greek statement, uh, one Greek statesman. I can't pronounce his name, but he wrote this. So 2000 years ago or so, we have Curtis, courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the, of, the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for all our household affairs. That, that was the cultural context that these words came in. Fighting back, you know, pushing back against uh, oppression of women, of de- degrading of women. Jesus turned that on its head. Now, our culture, I think rightly, has responded in some ways against that kind of culture that happened back, but it swung the pendulum also far the other way, completely emasculating men and not calling men to something, but really kind of telling men to just kind of step aside. But Jesus' example calls us to to love our wives, to take on the responsibility that he's giving us, but to follow his example of what love looks like. It says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did his love look like? What what are some of the aspects of what his love looked like? He was patient. He was kind. He was gentle and lowly. He prayed for the church. If you read through John 17, towards the end of Jesus' life, Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying specific things for his church. He's praying that they would know God. He's praying that they would be faithful, and they would endure. Let those prayers inform our prayers for our wives. May we specifically pray for our wives. When you read how Jesus lived, as you're reading through the scriptures, I think, hey, this is, this is the example. This is my template, how I am to love my wife. Uh, you're probably already feeling like, I, I don't know if I can do that. Well, we certainly need God's spirit to do it. No man can do it apart from God's spirit, but we're called to follow Jesus' example. We're, we're called to give our lives. So it says that Jesus gave himself up for her, now, certainly that does include being willing to physically give your life. Now, the command isn't like, just go out and die right now. Just go die. Like, like if you're just going to go die right now, like, we're not, we can't talk about husbands and wives because you're going to be gone. That's not what it's talking about. But the son of man came. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, certainly, you've seen movies that kind of have the, the guy that is willing to die for his wife, and that's certainly noble, but that's kind of not like the best picture. I think the best picture is Jesus, the good shepherd. Who lays down his life for the sheep. The picture of the good shepherd is one where the sheep, when they're gathered together in a safe place at night, maybe gathered into the the containment area with the fence around, they're safe. But over the entrance, the good shepherd will actually lay down across the threshold of the entrance. Why will the shepherd do that? So that in the night, if a wolf or some other Creature wants to come and do harm and and steal the sheep or hurt the sheep. He is in the way. He's putting himself completely in the way. That's the picture for us, men. That's the picture of laying our lives down. It's a willingness to stand between the world and our wives, the world and our families, to physically give our lives, but also for us to die to ourselves. Jesus said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're, we're to die to ourselves. Our marriages are not some, some context for us to be insensitive or, or domineering or oppressive in any way. The, the fact that we are called to be heads of our homes does not in any way insinuate the abuse of authority. How did Jesus exercise his authority? Compassionately. He healed. He fed. He cared for. That's what Jesus did. Headship is not some twisted privilege for personal gain. It's also not drifting into like passive indifference. There's that kind of theme, that draw for us in our culture, just to be passive. Like, nope, uh, you know, I'm just going to let, I'm going to let my wife, you know, do all the stuff in our home. I'm going to let her make the decisions. I'm going to let her do the work. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be, you know, over here on the side doing my thing. Sadly, our society is filled with men who are acting like boys and and God has called us to not be indifferent. God has called us to, to give our lives completely, to follow Jesus. Because I want to be clear. I said this last week. Headship in marriage is savior-style servant leadership. And that works its way out practically. Like when you're tired, because we get tired No one's like God in the room. Like we get tired at the end of the day after a hard day at work and, and there's stuff that needs to be done, helped, helped around the house. And and there's a game on, well, you need to get your game on. God's going to call you to get your game on. Maybe to shut the game off so you can selflessly sacrifice to love your wife. I'm saying that's not wrong to watch a game or to talk through that. You have different ways of recharging, refueling. I, I get that. But when, are, are you prone to say, I'm, I'm going to put myself aside? Is my wife more important than me right now? Or am I just looking for the thing that's going to serve me? Is my wife, you know, when you're talking about going to a restaurant or maybe where you're going to go on vacation or, you know, different decisions that you might make, you know, or you're just like, no, I just really don't want to do that. Like, Do that. Even if you don't like that, it's because it's not about you, you're going to lay your life down even in practical ways, dying to self and loving your wife is more about a mindset than it is about specific actions, because it's going to look different in different marriages. Like I want to encourage you right now, husbands and wives. Do not look across the aisle and go, look what's happened over there in their marriage. How come that's not happening with us? Like you all are created differently. You all have different gifts. This is in the context of your marriage. So it's going to look differently. But husbands, it looks like something. But know what it says. Husbands love your wives your wives, not somebody else's wife. There's a call to fidelity. There's a call to faithfulness. There's a call to see your wife and not other wives. Not other ladies. Certainly this passage doesn't mean that all women submit to all men. Nope. We talked about that last week. No, this is about you and your wife. Gary Thomas, an author, he said this, if you want to be fully satisfied in your marriage, if you want your wife to feel cherished, then mentally treat your wife like Eve. And what he means like that, like in the garden, uh, it was only Eve. There were no other women around. Treat your wife like she is the only woman on the planet. Because loving your wife isn't always going to bring praise. Others aren't going to notice all the things that you're going to do to love your wife. But there are two that will notice. Your wife certainly, and God notices, God notices every detail. So let's love our wives as Christ loved the church. And, wives, this this text isn't meant for you to, to smack your husband with. You don't just pick it up and go, Don't you see what it says here? pray for your husband. I, I understand you, but there, there may be marriages represented here or those that are watching online and it's, it's hard right now. You're walking through some hard things, but Paul is addressing husbands and he's got some things to say. And that's why it's so helpful that we are called to be a part of a local church and be in relationship and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because there are going to be other men in the church that can speak into your husband's life. And we can walk together through these things. The responsibility he has is great. So pray for him. That doesn't mean you're silent. That doesn't mean you don't make appeals. Absolutely. Wives should be making appeals. Wives should have their Bibles open and making loving appeals and sharing truth with their husbands if they're not, you know, acting in accordance with what, what Christ is saying. But let's men feel the weight of the call that we have to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, how are you doing? Take a deep breath, just take a deep breath. You're like, we only covered one verse so far. I can't handle anymore. Just please just stop. This is totally enough. I've already heard too much. I could stop, but the text doesn't stop. And these things that we're learning men are, we're going to apply over a lifetime in our marriages and this is meant to put us in a place where we're like, I can't do this. Yeah, we can't. We can't apart from the spirit of God. That's why we need God's spirit. That's why we, we don't get drunk with wine, but we're filled with the spirit because we absolutely need God's spirit to love our wives. You're going to need the spirit to love your wife. When a guy in your small group is discouraged about these things, go, Hey dude, you you need the Holy spirit to do it. You can't do it on your own. You're going to encourage him The passage does go on. So after Jesus gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. So look at verses 26 and 27, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, the first time, first number of times I've read this, I'm like, that just sounds so really cool and big, and I don't really get, I'm supposed to wash my wife? Like, what does that mean? I want to paint three pictures for you, kind of three things that are in view as we look at this text. One is just the practical reality of what Hebrew marriage looked like. There are some customs that we wouldn't have immediately come to our mind when we think about marriage. So there's some of that as in view. There's also in view this kind of prophetic picture, meaning like the picture of what Christ is doing spiritually in our relationship with him. And then there's just the practical picture. Like, what does that look like in our marriages? So first, the, the Hebrew wedding day. So the Hebrew wedding day, the bride-to-be rises with anticipation. Our hearts beating fast, like, oh, the, the days come, the hours just kind of speed right by. In that context, there are friends that would join her for a kind of nuptial, there's just this washing, bathing that takes place. And when this cleansing bath is completed, she is clothed with the embroidered wedding dress with all of the, the beauty that is attached to that piece of clothing and wedding sandals are put on and she waits breathlessly without spot or wrinkle for her bridegroom. So that's a picture that's in view as we look at that, that helps us. But also for us being part of the bride of Christ, each member of Christ's church is baptized We get baptized. That's part of the call of responding to Jesus. We're called to surrender our lives to Christ. If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, that's the most important thing you could do today is surrender your life to Jesus. Because when we surrender our life to Jesus, we get baptized and we declare to the world we are his. And that baptism, putting in the water and coming out symbolizes our washing of our sin and the regeneration that we have in Christ, being new lives in Christ. And, and when Jesus comes back, this process that we're growing to be like Christ, it's gonna be complete. So the, the warts and wrinkles that you see right now that hopefully we're working out in this life, they're gonna be gone and we're gonna be presented without spot or wrinkle. And we'll radiate because we're washed in the blood of Jesus. So those two images should inform us as we think about what does it look like in our marriages to do verses 26 and 27. It looks like us pursuing our wife's sanctification. Pursuing our wife's sanctification. So I'll just describe if you at that term isn't familiar. There's a term justification and sanctification. Justification is the truth that when we trust in Christ and we surrender our life to him, we are just before God, just as if we had not sinned. But then there's this process of this ongoing work of being conformed to the image of his son, where we're being sanctified. We're growing in our walk with Jesus. And the ultimate goal of us as husbands sacrificially loving our wives is so that she can grow in her walk with Jesus. We wanna help our wives grow in their walk with Jesus. Jesus died so that his bride could be saved, redeemed, made holy, and brought into union with him. Now, I wanna be clear. Husbands cannot make their wives holy, okay? You, You do not have the power to make your wife holy but you can lead your wife and encourage your wife in the things that make her holy. Jesus prayed to his father in John 17, sanctify them in truth for your word is truth. We can can lead them by pointing them to, to God's word, by encouraging them in God's word. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling some weight right now. You mean that I have to have some responsibility for my wife's walk with Jesus? Ultimately, she's the one that responds to Christ. Ultimately, she stands before God on the final day. But yes, you have responsibility. That's part of the call of being the head of your home. And so if you're like, how am I supposed to do that? Well, I would encourage us all. The first place we go is we fall on our faces and go, Jesus, I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. Spend time with Jesus yourself. That's the place to begin. It's not like, what are the things that I need to do? Like get before Jesus. You can't lead anyone where you haven't gone. Now, I'm not trying to say that the husband is going to be the one that's the Bible answer man in his home, that he knows more about the Bible than his wife, that he's more godly than his wife. That's not what I'm trying to say. But there is a responsibility that we bear. And the most loving thing you can do for your wife is to spend time with Jesus. That's the most loving thing you can do with your for your wife, because when we spend time with Jesus, he changes us. He convicts us of our sin and we come to a place of confession and repentance and he helps us to grow. Here's the deal. I've done marriage counseling for decades now, and there's a common theme in the midst of all the marriage counseling that I have done, regardless of the situation and the circumstance, and I know you might be like, well, it's probably pride, right? Pride, selfishness. Yeah, those are present. But the common theme in all of the marriage counseling that I've done is when, when they're there and they're, they're struggling is one or both, husband, wife, both, or both, uh, aren't spending time with Jesus. They're not spending time with Jesus. Their their relationship has become completely horizontal. God's not in the picture. Jesus isn't in the picture. It all becomes about me, mine, what she's doing, what he's doing. You wanna help your marriage spend time with Jesus. Pray for your wife specifically about specific things. Pray that she would grow in her walk with Jesus, that she would delight in Jesus. Not that she would change in such a way that she would serve you like you're some selfish king. Lead your family spiritually. I remember a, a pastor saying once, you know, my parents gave me drugs when I was a kid. You're like, oh. He's like, yeah, well, they drug me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. Like, get your, fam- you know, lead your families the place you lead your families, even if you're struggling, is I'm gonna be in the, in the context where people are gonna share Jesus with me. So then, as you're being fed, husbands, help your wife grow in Christ. And that's gonna look different in every, every family. Help your wife grow in Christ. Cultivate her inner beauty. So this word splendor, that is in the text so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. That kind of hints at the bride's beautiful wedding dress, but it means more than that. It means glory. It means the radiance of God, like shining forth, manifesting itself in a way that it was otherwise hidden. Can you help your wife develop her full potential? Can you encourage your wife? helping her develop her inner beauty. How are you going to do that? Sometimes it's going to be by uh, finding, doing whatever you can so that she can spend time with Jesus. Because all of your pontifications of the ways that she can change just fall on deaf ears. If If her heart's not tender before Jesus, and if your heart's not tender before Jesus... If you have little kids, you know, taking them so that she can spend time with Jesus. And that might not be that, you know, don't go, hey, hon, I can take him from 6 to 6.30 in the morning. Like, that, that's probably not going to be the best time. Now, maybe there's a, a few ladies out there that are like, I love the morning. But some of your ladies are like, no, no. Find a time. Help her. Are, are there ways that she could, the things that she could read that you could read together, prioritizing the time? How can you help her to grow? Uh, the call is simply to be faithful. It's not about the specific actions, but yet, would your, has your wife grown under your headship or in spite of it? Because you know the reality is, is Jesus is still working. Like he saved your wife. He's gonna help her to grow. You're going to be a part of it, but she's going to grow apart from you because he's the king of the universe. We can help them to grow. Okay. Take another deep breath. Breathe in, guys. Breathe out. It's not some weird yoga exercise. Like we're feeling it. Like the passage isn't done yet. Are you sure it's not done? Did you add some past? I didn't add anything here. This is what it says. Yeah, that's why we should feel the weight of it. Ladies, that's why you should feel the weight of of the responsibility your husband has over your home and men. That's why we need to be dependent because we are called to to care for our wife. Look at, at the next few verses. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of the same body. I know you're like, did that just say, love yourself? That reminds me of that, that story. Isn't there like a flower that's, that's named after a dude in Greek mythology who, who when he was young, he... He loved no one until one day he saw his reflection in the water and he fell in love with that reflection. And he was so lovesick that he finally wasted away in that spot. And he turned into a flower that bears the name Narcissus. That's how the story goes. Now, obviously we should be repulsed by narcissism. This is not advocating for narcissism. But guys, in in verse 31, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Two became one. Two became one. It's not just you anymore. You are one with her. You are half of the whole, not in some 50-50 partnership, but in a 100-100 relationship where you're both pressing in like... You, when you love your wife, you love yourself. And there's two wonderful words here. Look at verse 29, man. There's two words that you should just kind of hold close and unpack them over time. The words nourish and cherish. It says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes. I know you guys are great at nourishing and cherishing your body. Some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know they get out of junior high. They could do some things there. But no, we feed our bodies. Paul's getting at something like, I know you're gonna feed your body. I know you're not gonna just kinda let, let it go to where there's pain that's happening or, or anything. No, I'm gonna nourish and cherish. I mean, provide nourishment, that's practical. Certainly in the context of your marriage, it's, it's as practical as, as working getting a job and providing for your family, making sure that your family is provided for. That doesn't mean that a wife can't have a job and income and contribute to that. But are you seeking to provide? Are you seeking to provide for her spiritual needs as we've talked about? Are you seeking to bless? Do you have an attitude, a heart attitude? Can I bless? Where can I bless my wife? But then this word cherish, like if I had to pick one of the two words to take home, I'm gonna pick cherish because it's got this, this nuance to it of like creating warmth. And you had that experience, right? This has happened in my home. You know, when you go to sit down, you're gonna have a conversation or watch a movie, ice cold feet find their way underneath your leg or behind your back. Or in your lap to warm up. Like there's this warming that happens. And it's your wife's feet finding their way. Or, or when it's cold outside, the hands find their way inside your coat or your shirt. And you're just like, oh, you know, because they're cold. And you're like, you put off a lot of heat. You're going to warm your wife. Those are the funny things. But then there's just the reality of, of just tenderly helping her to to be warm, there's this gentle picture. Gary Thomas said this, he said, the call to cherish isn't to appreciate being pleasured by your spouse, but to take pleasure in the pleasure of your spouse. Does she feel loved by you? Are you sensitive to her needs? Do you go the places that she likes? You've heard me say this before. Like There are a couple of arts and craft stores in the region in which I know. I know where the material is. I know where the fake flowers are. I know where the felt is and where the glue is and where the markers are and where the decorative things are. I do not like the store. I don't go, oh, I hope we got a coupon. We should go to the store. Why do I know all those things about those stores? Because my wife loves to go to those stores. She does, so we go. Why would I go? Because I love her. I love spending time with her. She's like, we wanna go there? Great, I get to be with you. And so all the more I get to focus my attention on her because I'm not like distracted by the stuff in the store. That's why we don't go to the home improvement store in a day. Now that does happen sometimes. Because there are home improvement things that she wants to do. So we do that too. But there's lots of shiny things there. So we don't gear there a lot. But I wanna I want to cherish my wife. I wanna be courteous to her. I wanna love her. I wanna chivalry's not dead. I don't believe chivalry is dead. I believe men, like you should should open the door for for your wife. Like, I, you know, I, th- there are there are practical things. Think more significant about your wife than you do yourself. Communicate with her. I know you're like, but I don't understand her. She speaks this language that I never learned. They didn't tell me the language in premarital counseling. I really, I'm trying, I'm listening and I I hear Charlie Brown's teacher and I don't know. I want to encourage you, learn the language. Learn the language. She's actually the best person to teach you the language. It's going to take time. It's going to take work. But the fact that you're making the effort to learn the language displays for her that you cherish her. It's not that you become completely, absolutely fluent in the language, but do you cherish her? Does she, does she feel that? Do you have honest communication? You know, there was a, a picture I read about. Uh, not, a, not a picture from a wall, but. One author wrote about marriage like ballet, and I'm not encouraging you to to take ballet lessons. Uh, I don't think that would bless my wife if I took ballet lessons. But he he quotes a a Russian-born ballet choreographer who said this, he said, ballet is woman. The best male dancers recognize that their role is all about showcasing the female dancer's beauty. As he said, people generally go to the ballet to see the beautiful form and grace and balance and coordination and strength of the female lead. But all of those qualities are even better showcased when the ballerina has a male dancer who can set her up who can catch her, who can support her. He said, as a former male dancer, his job was to make the beautiful more beautiful. Men's that's our job. That's our job as husbands, as we nourish and cherish our wives we make the beautiful more beautiful. You know, that truth is why, that's why when you talk to Christian couples who've who've devoted their lives to Jesus and over decades of time, they've been married for 30 or 40 or 50 years and you will hear the husband go, oh, she is more beautiful to me today than the day that I married her. And you're like, but you guys look a little different. I saw your wedding pictures. Things are sagging a little bit more. And you guys are moving kind of slow. And like, how are you just saying that because you just want to be nice to her? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because that guy gets it. That guy understands that her beauty came from the inside of who she was because she came to know the Lord Jesus and he wanted to see that come out. And as it has come out more, he sees it, he's attracted to it, and that's why he's just amazed. Because the most beautiful women are the ones that display Christ the ones that shine and are the aroma of Christ. And as we love our wives, the fruit of that is to be that they're more like Jesus. We make the beautiful more beautiful by God's grace because he's the one that has to do the, the work. We can't force it. Like we can't force it. Like a flower at the beginning of spring, you see him butt up, You're like, oh, I want it to be open. You don't just go ripping it open. You're going to completely ruin the flower. No, you have to wait. You have to be patient. Give it sunlight. Give it water. But then it becomes more beautiful. That's the fruit of nourishing and cherishing. May you catch that vision, men. Like the things that we do now will bear fruit. But ultimately, as we end... Look where the passage ends. Look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. There's a thing. We leave our parents. We cleave to our wife. The glue sticks us together. We are together, but it's absolutely mysterious. It's mysterious because we're to represent Christ and His church. Husbands and wives, we should feel this like our marriages are to reflect Christ and His church or the things that God has called us to as individuals. Are we seeking to be faithful and trust Him? We're not going to do them perfectly, but may our marriages reflect Christ and His church. Why? Because the world isn't seeing that day after day the definition of what marriage is and, and so many things are just twisted and warped. They try to paint pictures like it's beautiful and we all know there's just more brokenness, but we have an opportunity to display Christ. May God open doors for us to proclaim the gospel when they interact with us. When they go, ha, that guy, something happens, his eye just like, it's like he's, got, he's, he's, he's glowing, she's glowing. What, what gives? What's the secret? Jesus is the secret sauce. It's devoting our lives to Christ. We can't do any of this. When I'm, when I'm doing a wedding and I'm standing up here sometimes and I'm talking to the bride and the groom, I share some of these things. and I'm like, hey, here's the deal. You can't do this apart from Jesus. We need God's spirit. So let's pray and say, God, fill us with your spirit. I need your spirit to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, I need your spirit to submit to my husband as the head. We need your spirit so that we can do this in, in loving affection for one another. Because our marriages are called to display something absolutely amazing the return of Jesus one day for his bride, which he is eagerly anticipating to do. And he's currently washing us with the water of his word that we would be presented holy and without blemish. And may that be the picture that is displayed in the marriages in our church. Let's pray. Father, we, we've covered so much material You've covered so much material. I I feel the temptation to just be straight up discouraged right now. Because I know where I've fallen short. And men right now, right where you're at, if, if you feel that way, come before your God. Just right where you are. Say, Father, I need you. Help me to look at Jesus right now because he didn't mess up ever. Just cry out before the Lord. Ask God to help you in the ways that he's bringing conviction. Conviction. You can confess those things. Wives as well, like you can confess those things. And let's just ask God, help us. Help me do X. There's something that he spoke to you this morning that he's calling you to do ask God for help to do that one thing. To do everything just to take that step. And Father, we we yield to your spirit. Lord, I ask that that we all would look to Christ no matter our, our station, our place if we're married, not married that we would just be aware of Christ that we wouldn't put any, relation, any earthly relationship over our relationship with you because on that final day we're not married and given in marriage we, we will stand before Jesus and we will have complete satisfaction because we will be in his presence and I pray God that we would experience that presence right now we ask this Lord in Jesus name
0: Amen.